Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our series, Kingdom Come. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with this week's message. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 6 today. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible, um, if you can see the screen, then you're in good shape. Because the passage of the scripture will be on the screen. Can you believe we made it to Matthew chapter 6? It only took us a little over a month to get to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, but now that we're in Matthew chapter 6, uh, we still have two whole chapters uh, left to finish the Sermon on the Mount, so we're not still even halfway there. But um, I believe it's week six. So if my math is correct, I believe this is the sixth week of Kingdom Come. Super excited um, about today's message. Uh, but do you have to start off with a question that I'm not sure how well it will be received. Is anybody in the auditorium this morning like chocolate. Somebody like chocolate. Like I've got I've got three chocolate bars here. Hershey's milk chocolate. Anybody a fan of Hershey's milk chocolate? Anybody want a chocolate bar? Anybody? Kitty, that is your favoritism. You like chocolate? Alright, here you go. I don't know if you can that's, I'm kind of. I'm gonna. I'm gonna fling this one. This actually is gonna make sense here in a second. I promise. I'm gonna fling this one. Somebody's got. People are coming in from the lobby. I'm gonna fling this one like a frisbee. So everybody, kind of watch out. I'll try to go up with it so that it doesn't like crack you in the head. So here we go. You ready? You ready in the back? I'm gonna, I'm gonna fling it. All right. I'm gonna go where it went. Hopefully, it hit somebody. Let's. Uh, who else? Somebody. Yeah, I've got two, three people in that back on this side. Um, uh, no, I'm going to go this way. All right? I know where it's going. I, I like this everybody. See, I've got another one, but this one isn't for you. This one's for me. And so I, I have what you might call a sweet tooth. All right? I can admit that. Um, I really, really, really enjoy sweets. Chocolate, chocolate and peanut butter, when you mix those two together, y'all, my belly's like, woo! You know, it's exciting. And, matter of fact, actually, you know, I love Reese's stuff, so I'm absolutely, anything Reese's makes, I think, is, you know, manna from heaven. But, um, one thing that I used to do as a kid, I would take uh, chocolate bars, and I would break them open, and I would, you know, I would break, break through them and whatnot, and I would get peanut butter, put it on a plate, and then take the Hershey uh, bar and then, like, scoop it in the peanut butter and just eat it. It's good. Let me tell you, it is, it is incredible. But one time, when I was, um, I think I was in either, either high school or early college, I still live in West Virginia, I was really, really, really wanting um, some chocolate and, and peanut butter. I fully intended on you know, doing my mix, right? And I opened this, this chocolate bar, much like this. Now, if you've got a chocolate bar, look, don't just help your people out around you. Don't open it. You'll make people like envious and have repent because they want to like punch you in the throat, take the chocolate <laughs> bar. Save it for after service, right? Um, it's cool. So I opened my chocolate bar. I'm not really looking because you know, it didn't take a lot of 
Just open it up. I've got my peanut butter ready, and I take my, my chocolate pizza, and I scoop it in my peanut butter, and I'm about ready to pop it right in my mouth, and like, you know, seven flavors of, of sweet goodness is about to just completely overwhelm my body. And luckily, though, for me, when I looked at it, because I've broken it open, I looked at it, and my chocolate bar didn't look like this chocolate bar. My chocolate bar had something moving in it. You ever had that experience? Some people, you know, you're shaking your head like, I'm going to a piece of chocolate. And there was something that shouldn't have been in there that was in there, right? Now, some of y'all have been eating chocolate, and you're grossed out now. You're going to have to, like, run to the bathroom and spit it out. But I looked at it, and I'm like, whoa, I'm not eating this. Because there's something alive and moving. Now, when I had the unwrapped package, it looked good. But when I broke it open and saw what was on the inside, it, it wasn't as good. It wasn't pleasing. It wasn't going to eat it. The outside made promises that the inside couldn't keep up. Now, Jesus, let's face it, okay? Jesus didn't really know anything about chocolate. All right? If he had, there would have been like another commandment, thou shalt not overindulge in chocolate. Because you know, a little bit's good for you, but you've got to find a balance. Um, but he didn't really know anything about chocolate. But Jesus did know something about things that looked fine on the outside, but on the inside were rotten. In chapter 5 of, of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, it's all, about, it's all about things that look bad on the outside and are bad on the inside. You know, uh, do not... Do not hate, or do not, you've heard it say do not murder, but I tell you, if you have anger in your heart, you know, it's just like murder. In other words, Jesus says, bad on the outside, bad on the inside. You heard it said do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you have lust in your heart, bad on the outside, bad on the inside. But when we move into chapter 6, Jesus is taking his, his sermon and, and moving it into a new uh, realm. It's got a, a flow to it. it. It moved from bad on the outside, bad on the inside. But now, Jesus is, is saying that, that it's possible to do something good on the outside, but when you peel the layers of the onion off, when you open the wrapper and break open the chocolate bar on the inside, it's rotten on the inside. There's some, Jesus says in chapter 5, there, there are these actions that are bad on the outside and <clears throat> bad on the heart. But Jesus also says in chapter 6, he moves to this conversation saying, there's a way to do good things that really are bad on your heart. In other words, Jesus is talking about what it looks like in chapter 6 to live a life that is through and through solid chocolate. You ever eat those chocolate Easter bunnies at Easter time? Man, those get on my nerves. You know what is annoying? Can I just be honest with you? When you get a when you get an Easter bunny that looks like it's solid chocolate, and you break it open and it's hollow on the inside, that's disappointing. But that's what that's another way of describing what Jesus is talking about. Looks like something is solid chocolate through and through, and you break it open, and it's either got these disgusting little creatures in it, or it's hollow on the inside. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start Matthew chapter six, verse one, and, uh, and we're going to we're just going to take off here, and uh, we'll probably 
probably get through just the first four verses this morning. So here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. He says, be careful. All right, we're going to stop right there. (laughs) Anytime you see the words, be careful or take heed, if you read an older translation. You know, a lot of times in our lives, uh, did you ever feel when you were growing up? That your parents would tell you, you know, hey, be careful, you know, watch out, uh, don't stand and jump on your bunk bed. You know, you get these, you get your parents telling you, don't do this or watch out or be careful. When you're a kid, it feels like, let's just be honest, it feels like they're trying to ruin your fun. Okay? You're having fun on the top of your bunk bed jumping and they come in and say, don't jump on the top of your bunk bed. Right, come on, I'm having a good time. But the thing is that your parents know that, or our parents knew that we did at that age, is that they're actually looking out for us. They are trying to protect us. A lot of times when we read words like this from Jesus, we think that Jesus is trying to uh, take away our fun. You know, be careful, don't do this, watch out, take heed. We're like, what are you trying to do? But the thing we have to remember is that God is not against us. God is not the one that's against us. We actually have a real enemy. His name is the devil, and he hates our guts. He hates your guts. He wants to see you ruin your life. And so when God says, be careful, when Jesus says, be careful, we have to understand that that he's saying this for our benefit and for our protection. Much like our parents said, don't be careful. Don't jump on the top of the bunk bed because if you fall off, you probably will break your arm. God is saying, be careful. I'm trying to protect you. And so he says, be careful not to do your, and then there's this weird little phrase, acts of righteousness before men. He says, be careful. Don't do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This idea of acts of righteousness. It's it's a way of saying there are these things, these acts, these, these deeds, this demonstration of your relationship with God that apparently is visible. Okay? Let's just kind of uh, get that out there. If they can be seen by others, that means these things that Jesus is talking about, these acts of righteousness are visible. They're things that people can observe. And so Jesus says, don't do these to to impress others, to impress those around you. Look, they're already visible. They're already noticeable. There are these acts, these visible signs of our relationship with God that we do that Jesus says, be careful. Don't do them to impress others. If anything, he's going to tell us, you know, for a lack of a better way of saying it, do them to impress God. Press God, but you follow what I'm saying. Don't do them to get attention from those around you. Do them in a response to God's grace in your life. Now, he says this, and it blows my mind that as soon as he says this, he goes into verse 2. And in verse 2, he says, so when you give. Now, Jesus just said there are these acts of righteousness that you can do that will be visible for those around you, and they'll be able to tell, uh, you know, that, that, that you are a, a follower of Christ because they're easily seen. 
And the first issue he brings up is giving. He says there are these acts of righteousness. And the first one I'm going to talk about is giving. So when you give. I find it interesting that the first thing Jesus talks about. You would think son of God's spiritual relationship. Maybe he talks about praying. Maybe he talks about, uh, you know, Worship. Maybe he talks about reading the scriptures. No, no, no. Jesus says, first issue, top of the line, biggest problem when you give. Interesting, right? And I also find it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, so if you give. And so this morning, we're going to talk about when you give. We're going to talk about, from, from Matthew chapter 6... We're going to try to wrestle with three questions about giving to God. Three questions. And the first one we've already kind of hinted at it. Because the first question that we have to wrestle with is what does Jesus expect of us? What does Jesus expect? Let's go ahead and, and, and finish reading Matthew chapter 6 verse 2. There we go. So when you give to the needy. Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by them, by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So the first issue Jesus addresses after talking about acts of righteousness is money. When you give. Now, he's not even talking about when you give your time because let's face it, when, you, when he says, so when you give to the needy, He's talking about financial resources. Now, he might be talking about an agrarian culture where the financial resources are goats and sheep. Or he might be talking to a, to a cash-based uh, society like ours where your resources are, you know, Benjamins and Franklin's. Just, oh, that is the same thing, isn't it? Nice. Benjamins and... Jefferson's, thank you. I don't know. Anyway, we have to kind of accept this. Jesus is talking about our money. Bottom line, he's talking about our money. Matter of fact, on in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, where you put your money, your heart will follow. Which is why when your car breaks down, you're depressed. Because you put your money there so your heart has followed. That's why when something happens in your house and, and something goes wrong and somebody puts a hole in your wall, you're completely tore up because you put your money there so your heart has followed. That's what he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get to that in a couple of weeks where your treasure is there. Your heart. He, also, he also tells us that this is the number one competitor for our heart's attention. Is our, is our resources because it's how we survive. It's the easiest way for the enemy to attack us. But anyway, he says, so when you give, Jesus, catch this, Jesus expects us to give. It's, it's an assumption that he's working on. Jesus assumes that his followers are generous. He assumes it. Matter of fact, in the next three verses, or actually the next two verses, from, from chapter 6, verse 2 to chapter 6, verse 4, in those three verses, Jesus talks about assuming that his followers are giving three times. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it. Later on, he says, but when you give to the needy, 
Again, I'm assuming that you're giving. This is what Jesus is saying. And then again, he says, so that you're giving. It's this assumption that my followers give. My followers are generous. He's repeating himself to emphasize, I expect my people to be generous. So what does Jesus expect of us? He expects that we are givers. He he expects that we give from our financial resources. Now, sometimes you talk to people and you get on this subject and they get real uncomfortable. And that's cool because this is a step of faith and that's that's true. And you've got to start somewhere. And so we all take our own steps. But a lot of times you, you talk to people and they say, well... I don't really give money. I give my time. Right? No. Doesn't cut it. Does not cut it. As I said it later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will talk about how that, how those financial resources are attached to our heart. And if he doesn't have our heart, he doesn't have us. And our heart goes where our money goes. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it didn't work. He's talking about our financial resources, but it cracks me up in verse four. Let's go on to yeah, there we go. the last sentence. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I don't know about you, but that's awesome. We're going to get here in a second about how we give and the nature of our heart. But the reality is Jesus says, when you are generous, when you are a giver, when you do it for the right reasons, and we're going to talk about what those are, that your Father in heaven will reward you. In other words, Jesus says, put me first in every area of your life, including this specific area of your financial resources. Put me first, and I'll take care of you. Put me first. Jesus doesn't reverse it. He doesn't say, take care of all of your stuff first, then give to me and I'll take care of you. No, no, no. Jesus says, put me first and I'll take care of the rest. I'll reward you. My Father will reward you. Another thing that kind of bouncing off of this passage of Scripture that I believe God expects of His followers is to take care of His house. To take care of his house. Hey, listen, the church is his idea. This isn't something we dreamed up. This isn't something we came up with. This is his idea. And a lot of times people, don't get me wrong, Christians should absolutely give to to charities and and good, reputable organizations. No question about it. I believe Christians should actually be the most generous people on the planet. Because we are, we are becoming like God, who was generous in giving his son. Jesus gave his life. We should model that. We should take that attitude on and be givers ourselves. So we should be generous people, really the most generous people on the planet. Nobody should outgive a follower of Christ if Christ is working on them. But in the meantime, we must not neglect His house. We must not neglect because there's a a myth in our culture right now, particularly American culture. And I'm going to clear that up. And I know there's just, you know, us in the room and whoever watches on the Internet. Um, But but let me clear up this myth. 
Right, especially right now in, in the political climate that we're in where we're getting like, you know, 15 commercials between every break, you know, you're trying to watch the Olympics and there's like five ads. It's like, oh, enough. And you got 24-hour news that just continually repeats to you that we have a bad economy, right? This is what everybody led to believe. We have a bad economy. Listen, that's a lie. And I'm not making a political statement. That is a lie. We do not have a bad economy. We have a struggling economy. We don't have a bad economy. You want to see a bad economy? Go to Haiti. Go to Burundi. Go to Ghana. That's a bad economy. We have a struggling economy. Okay? We in America are blessed. We are... We haven't grown as rapidly, and we had a few years where we took a, a little bit of a hit. That's not bad. That's struggling. Bad is 80-90% unemployment like in Ghana. Okay? That's bad. That, that myth that we have a bad economy is a lie that the enemy tries to use so that we stop giving. Well, it's a bad economy. You've got to say it. You've got to... Jesus said, put me first, I'll take care of you. And don't, I'm just going to kind of pause right here and interject this. Don't, don't like misunderstand uh, what I'm saying here. This is not some kind of fundraising speech. This is Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Right? Not trying to just try to pull money out of your pocket. No, no. Matthew chapter 6. This is it. Just preaching what we said we were to preach like six months ago. So anyway, just kind of throw that out Anyway, Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And the amazing part is, he says, test me in this. Isn't that amazing? God says, test me. Bring the tithe, the first 10% into my house and see if I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have room enough for it. It's amazing that God says, Take a test drive. In other words, God says, here's the keys to the car. Take it off the lot. Take it for a spin. If it doesn't work the way I said it works, bring it back. Bring it back. God says, prove me. Now, I'm not, uh, I'm not the greatest Bible scholar in the world by any stretch of the imagination. But when God says, prove me, do this and see if I don't back up what I say. I'm going to take it at his word. I'm going to take it and say, okay, let me try it out. Let me give it a shot. Will it be a step of faith? Sure, absolutely it will be a step of faith. And some of you right now are thinking, well, you know, 10% of nothing is nothing. You're, you're right. I, I'm, I can do math too. You know, I actually won the math award when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> So, you know, you're not working and you don't have anything coming in. I get it. 10% of nothing is nothing. But if you've got something coming in, Jesus says, put me first and I'll take care of you. The problem is some of us have been taking care of ourselves for far too long. And we somehow imagine that we can, that we can bless 100% more than God can bless 90%. That's just wrong. God can do more with your 90 than you can do with your hundred. He can bless your ninety and cause it to overflow and, and cause it to, to prosper so much more than you can with your hundred. It's ridiculous. 
So the first thing I believe Jesus expects us to do is to be givers and to take care of his house. Put him first and let him take care of the rest. Put me first. He says, prove me in this. Do it, and I'll open up the floodgates of heaven. Just release, like pour out blessing upon you. Second question. When I give, what's in my heart? Another way of saying this is, when I give, what are my intentions? What are my intentions? There's this sentence in our passage today that says, when people give and announce it with trumpets and make a big deal about it so everybody can see them, there's a sentence that says, they have received their reward in full. Listen, if you do what you do to be seen by others, Jesus says, that's your reward. Well, I like to think of it by saying this. God isn't clingy. God, take, God gets the hint really fast. In other words, if, if when you gave, you did it so that these people or, or these people would see you, mission accomplished. Good job. There you go. They saw you. That's your reward. If your intention was to be seen, then when you are seen, that's the reward you wanted. That's what you wanted to get out of it. And you got it. You know, we, we take that, that passage and make it mean all kinds of things like really negative. And it is negative, but it's just a statement of fact. Look, when you do this so that they see you and they see you, then you get what you wanted. God says, God says you, were doing, you were doing this for that audience. When I'm not invited, I get the hint. I get the hint. I'm not clinging. I don't, I don't have to push myself on you. you, know? if, you don't, if you're not doing this for me and for my eyes only, okay, I get the hint. And he also says, <coughs> this is really, really, uh, in, the next, in the next passage, this is a really weird phrase. He says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do you ever like, try to think about that? Like you, okay, left hand, right hand. How do I, you know, how do I do this? You know, what, what is he? But keep in mind, Jesus is in this whole conversation about acts of righteousness. Eventually, after he talks about giving, he's going to talk about when you pray. Later, he's going to talk about when you fast. In other words, Jesus expects his followers to give, pray, and fast. It's his expectation, this assumption that his followers are doing those three things, those acts of righteousness. So, how... We, we, a lot of times we think, well, you know, nobody can find out about it. I can't let my left hand know what my right hand is doing. Nobody, I've got to give in such a way that nobody knows. I don't think that's what, exactly what Jesus is getting at here. Because the reality is, these acts of righteousness, we might find out about. Them. Particularly the way we take up the, the offering, you know, we can see you. Now, some of you are slick, and you take the envelope, you don't put anything in, you just drop it in so that the people around you think you give. <laughs> Jesus is saying there's a difference between intention and attention. 
This what this is the this is the left hand right hand stuff. Jesus is saying, was your intention to get attention from everybody, or was your intention a response to the generosity of God? Intention, attention. What's in your heart? When I give, what's in my heart? Am I giving to be seen? Am I, am I announcing it with trumpets so that, so that somehow I am validating my existence by saying, here I am, look at me. Or am I doing it as a response to the grace of God? God, here, whatever, whatever everybody else is doing, I'm doing this because your grace has overwhelmed my life. Here you go. This is yours. It's, a, it's an act of worship. What's in your heart? What is your intention? Trying to get attention? Or are you responding to the grace of God? Third question. Why do I give? Why? First question, what does Jesus expect of us? Expects us to be givers, to be generous people. Second question, what's in our heart? Are we seeking attention or are we seeking to respond to the grace of God? What's, what's, our, what's our intention? What's the motivation of our giving? Third one, why? Why do we give? The other night, Hope and I went to Panera. Anybody like Panera? Let me tell you, in the summertime when they come out with the strawberry uh, poppy seed chicken salad, y'all, it's like a day of rejoicing. There must be, right? When we all get to heaven. It is, it's like, you go in, you have to struggle. No, I don't have it yet. It's coming out next Tuesday. Okay, I'll be here. I will be here. And Tuesday arrives and it's like shouts of joy. Strawberry Jesus. Well, they do this thing at Panera now. Have you seen this? That, that when you order like a meal, pick two or, or some kind of entree, um, they, they give you a pastry for 99 cents. You've been there recently? And, and you can get a pastry, and the pastries are really good. You know, you've got like, like cinnamon buns that you got to have a, like a forklift to take home. You know, you've got a bigger box that i got to get a trailer for my car. You know, because the, the cinnamon buns are like huge. Uh, or a muffin or a strawberry scone. What is that? Strawberry and cream scone. Some of y'all get hungry right now. People that's got the chocolate bars, you're going to have to fight some people off. <laughs> well, the other night, Hope and I went to Panera and for dinner. Because we didn't want anything, you know, we just wanted something light. Uh, so the kids are gone, so we wanted to have an evening just the two of us we went to Panera. And we're ordering, and, and the guy says, you want a pastry for 99 cents? And Hope says, yes, I want a pastry for 99 cents. I don't know what I want now, I'll take the ticket. And I said, no, I don't want to. Ah, never mind. Ah, you know, I'm thinking uh, carbs are the enemy, you know, I'm trying to be healthy. And I don't want that shit. Well, we eat, and it's not a big deal. And then Hope, we're about to leave in there, and she gets, she gets a brownie. This brownie is like that long, bro. And it's like that thick. And it's chocolate, right? And so we get home, and she's got it in a little box and it's sitting on the table. And that night, it's not a really big deal, but she didn't eat it. <laughs> the next day I walk by the kitchen table and I look and the brownie's still there 
And I'm thinking, man, I wish I would have gotten pastry now. But odds are I would have probably already eaten it. And I'm looking at that brownie. Whole day goes by. Box isn't even open. And I like that brownie. That night I asked her, I said, hey, you going to eat that brownie? Yes, you should have gotten your own. <laughs> I guess so. But he still didn't eat it. Another night, another day went by. I'm looking at that brownie. Now I'm thinking, hey, that brownie's going to dry out. You don't want to waste. <laughs> hey, you going to eat this brownie? Yes, I'm going to eat my brownie. <laughs> later on, the, the, like two days later that evening, I said, hey, can I have a pot body of brownie? Fine. So I got a little, little tiny bite, right? I was actually, it was legit. I actually got a little tiny bite of brownie. And then later that night, uh, I see her in the, in the dining room. I'm sitting at my desk and I can see through the door. And she grabs the box and says, hey, you eating that brownie now? You want to share? <laughs> no? Okay. Fine, whatever. <coughs> well, she, a few minutes later, she's walking in, into the office. And I'm sitting on the computer. I'm, I'm typing away. And she sits the box in front of me. And there's like, you know, this huge bite, probably half of the brownie still left. And she said, here you go. Y'all, in almost eight years of marriage, I've never been more sure that my wife loves me. <laughs> because she was willing to give something valuable to me because she loved me. A lot of times we say that Jesus is valuable to us, but if you're not willing to give something to him, is he really valuable to you? Why? Why do we give? You know the top two problems in America right now? Top two problems in America are consumer debt and obesity. Those are not problems of lack. Those are problems of stewardship. Did you know that the the average American household spends $1,200 a year on credit card interest? This is, this is not money that we're using to buy stuff. This is money that we're spending because we bought something and didn't pay for it all. So we're paying extra $1,200 a year that we're paying for nothing. We don't have a problem of lack. We have a problem of stewardship. And the point that Jesus is making here is that we are supposed to match the outflowing, spontaneous generosity of God himself. Because we are becoming like him. And he didn't give to get somebody's attention. He gave because he loved us. He loved us. So, as I said earlier, I don't care what's in your wallet or what's in your bank account. I can care less. Matter of fact, I don't really want anything from you. I want something for you. I want you to be more like Jesus. I want you to be more like God. And the truth is, God wants you to be generous because He is generous. God showed His love for you and me. He showed His love for us through His generosity to us. 
John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. God gave because God loves. So the question this morning, why do we give? Should be because we love him. Let's pray together. God. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.